Well, good morning, everyone. It's, uh, it's really lovely to be able to, to see you this morning and to, to share with you as well. Um, we are, uh, as a church, traveling through the book of Luke at the moment. But because it's the first Sunday in the month, we are taking time to uh, focus on one of the main uh, themes of the Bible, God's big rescue plan for us. So we're looking at, uh, on the first Sunday of the month where we take communion, we're looking at the good news, the gospel. And to help us with that this morning, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to be looking at the account of David and Goliath. So we're going to make our way through it. If you have a Bible, it would be worth turning to 1 Samuel chapter 17, because we're going to be reading it together in a few moments' time. As you might be finding it, let me begin by telling you a story. Now, before I tell you this story, let me just put a little warning out there, okay? This isn't a real story. Please don't get emotionally attached to the characters in this story, because it's going to illustrate something uh, primarily my sense of humor. So just a, just a warning before I read. Okay. And with that said, let's do this. In 1986, Peter Davis was on holiday in Kenya after graduating from Northwest University. On a hike through the bush, he came across a young bull elephant standing with one leg raised in the air. The elephant seemed distressed, so Peter approached it very carefully. He got down on one knee, inspected the elephant's foot, and found a large piece of wood deeply embedded in it. As carefully and as gently as he could, Peter worked the wood out with his knife, after which the elephant gingerly put its foot down. The elephant turned to face the man, and with a rather curious look on its face, stared at him for several tense moments. Peter stood frozen thinking of nothing else other than being trampled. Eventually, the elephant trumpeted loudly, turned and walked away. Peter never forgot the elephant or the events of that day. Twenty years later, Peter was walking through Chicago Zoo with his teenage son. As they approached the elephant enclosure, one of the creatures turned and walked over to near where Peter and his son Cameron were standing. The large bull elephant stared at Peter, lifted its foot off the ground, and then put it down again. The elephant did that several times, then trumpeted loudly, all the while staring at the man. Remembering the encounter in 1986, Peter could not help wondering if this was the same elephant. He summoned all his courage, climbed over the railing. And made his way into the enclosure. He walked right up to the elephant and it stared back at him in wonder. The elephant trumpeted again, wrapped its trunk round one of Peter's legs and slammed him against the railing, killing him instantly. (laughs) Probably wasn't the same elephant. Now I know that that is a ridiculous story. A ridiculous story. But I want to share it with you for this reason. As we make our way through that story, we're fairly confident that we know where it's going. We're we're, we're tracking it. We're we're right in there. We know how the story ends. But we don't. We don't know how the story ends. 
And as we're going to look at David and Goliath this morning, it's going to be really uh, kind of easy for us to think, well, I know all about this. I know this account really well. I'm familiar with it. It's one of the few accounts of the Bible which have sort of made its way and is still in our culture today. If you were to, to watch the FA Cup and you see like a, a Premier League team taking on a, a lower division team, the commentators even say this is a, a giant killing opportunity. This is a real David versus Goliath clash. It, it, it's a kind of familiar story, a concept that we, that we know about. We think we know all about it. It's, a, it's an account where, you know what, sometimes the little guy beats the big guy. Sometimes we just need to be braver and stronger and take on the big problem, take on the big corporation, because you never know. Sometimes we can be like little ordinary David, and we can actually win when the odds are stacked against us. But is, is that what this account is, is all about? When I was at uh, high school, I, uh, I nearly had a David and Goliath encounter myself. Uh, there's something about games, uh, the uh, kind of competitive sport, which uh, unearths a different element to my temperament and personality. And I remember vividly one time we were coming back across, I was at Settle High School, great place. We were coming back across to the changing rooms and I had been on the opposite team of, of this really lovely guy, actually, great guy, really good sportsman. Um, but we had a disagreement and he, he was... He was considerably larger than I was. And you've got to struggle to believe that. But he was also a lot stronger. And, uh, and we were walking back across, but something had happened. I don't, genuinely don't remember what. And I made some sort of comment, roughly along the lines of, that he might struggle to get into the changing rooms because of the size of his head. <laughs> Vaguely in that sort of area. Never, nevertheless, we were in the changing rooms, and, uh, and some of his friends came over, and, and without me really realizing what was happening, they, were, they arranged a fight between the two of us. This is absolutely true, behind the bike shed after school. My, uh, my friends, I've, I've never seen my friends get changed so quickly, actually. Uh, <clears throat> they were nowhere to be seen. That would have been a real David versus Goliath encounter had I showed up. But, uh, but there's one bus that goes from Settle School to the, to the rolling green hills of Mewith. And I wasn't going to miss the one bus and get beaten up at the same time because I'm not stupid. But is that what David and Goliath is about? Come on, Ian. Be braver. Be stronger. This is, this is you know, sometimes you never know. You might win. Let's look at the, the, the text for a few moments. Let me remind you of a few things about the, the big picture of the Bible. There's one big storyline that runs through the Bible, and that is that we, as people, have been made in the image of God. We are, have been made in God's image. He's formed us and fashioned us, and there is significance and potential and beauty in us because of that reason. But we have a big problem. We have a massive problem called sin, and sin separates us from God. Sin is our own selfishness. It's our own desire to turn away from our creator, to say, no, I'm going to live my life how I want to live it. And, and, we, and we break the relationship between creator and creation, and we say, no, we're going to go for self-rule rather than God's rule. And, and all sorts of things come online in our lives because of sin. 
We saw the effects, the consequences of sin, shame, guilt, hurt, disconnection from others, from ourselves and from God. But God has a, a rescue plan. He, he has come to this world in the person of the Lord Jesus, our ultimate rescuer, to pay the price for our sin, to redeem us, to buy us back. To move us into life and life in all its fullness. To move us away from guilt and fear and shame. And to move us into, uh, into life he has for us. To reconnect us with God. And, and with that background in mind, let's start and let's read a little bit of, of 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to read from verse 4. Um, the Israelites and their in- enemies, the Philistines, are, are gathered for battle. And they're uh, both at each side of a a valley. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? That's an interesting phrase in the context of 1 Samuel. Choose a man and have him come down here to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, we will become, sorry, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Let's pause there for a moment. When we read these accounts from the Old Testament, we're very easy for us to put ourselves in the story. They're so vivid and so uh, engaging. And when we put ourselves in the story, typically we put ourselves in the place of the hero. I really feel that I relate well to David in this story. I suspect that we're far more like the soldiers in this story than we are like David. I suspect that's much more where we're at. Imagine what it's like for those soldiers who are lining up for battle. Verse 16 says they line up day after day, 40 days in a row. And each day the soldiers put on their armor. So they get dressed ready for battle. Each day they head to the battle line and they make the war cry. And they, and they, they kind of walk shoulder to shoulder as, as soldiers do. And they, they head to, to the battle line but they're not going to fight. They're intimidated. They're afraid. They're dismayed. There must be that sense of of guilt or, or shame. We're dressed ready for battle. We're soldiers in the army, but we're not fighting. I mean, what does, what does that look like for them as they get their, 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 their armor on and they look at each other as they shout in the war cry and they're heading out, but there's never going to be any intention that they're going to do any fighting. 
are powerless and afraid and ashamed because there is an enemy in front of them that is too big for them. He's too big. He's too scary. He's too ugly. He's too uh, experienced. And they can't beat him. It's too much for them. And I think in lots of ways, these soldiers are a picture of what we are like in life. Sin has that effect upon us. Sin is too big. It's too ugly. It's too scary. We are intimidated. We move in in powerlessness and shame and fear in front of, of sin. And yet... We put on the right clothes and we look at each other and we make the right, we walk right together. And we, we, we march out as if we've got it all together. But we don't. Because we have an enemy that is too big for us. He's too big. He's too scary. Sin is, is, is a problem that we cannot solve by ourselves. We cannot do it ourselves. Let's keep keep reading. David enters the scene. We'll start reading from verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take an ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Are they? Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army were going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Let's pause there for a moment. David arrives on the battleground. And he arrives there because he's sent by his father to see how his brothers are getting on. David's dad, David's father, sends him to the battle line to find out how his brothers are getting on. And as David uh, arrives there, because his father's concerned about them, He just sees the the situation through different eyes. He just sees it differently. I I love that verse, verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who is this guy? What is he doing? And he sees this situation through everyone else. 
And I want to suggest to you, it's not because David is braver than anyone else. Though he is very brave. I don't think it's because he's got experience fighting lions and bears. Though he has, and that's going to become very important. I think David sees this differently because this is his calling. This is what his, this is his purpose. You see, 1 Samuel 17 isn't the first time we read about David in the Bible. We've already read about him in 1 Samuel 16. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, um, Samuel the prophet goes to Jesse because God has told him that one of his sons will be king. And God, uh, Samuel looks at the son, the big impressive men, but it's not them, it's David the youngest. And Samuel anoints David as king. As, as David enters the situation here, he is not an ordinary shepherd boy. He is God's anointed king. He is God's chosen leader. Saul has a, king, has a crown on his head. He is the king as far as everyone can see, but he is not king. David is God's anointed king. And David arrives, though no one realizes it. And perhaps no one can tell by his appearance. There's nothing about him that would draw attention to him. But this is God's anointed king. And that's helping us understand Jesus. If we are the frightened soldiers pretending, uh, going through life, um, pretending, but really struggling, hopelessly lost, already defeated, But there is a saviour sent by his father to see how we're getting on. And he sees sees things differently. He sees things clearly. There might be nothing that would attract us to him in one sense. Nothing in his physical appearance that would draw us to him. But this is God's anointed king. This is God's chosen rescuer. And he steps into the world sent by his father and he sees with crystal Clear vision what's happening. Verse 27. Let's read a little bit more. They repeated to him, that's the repeating what would be done for him if he was to kill the Philistine. What had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done? said David. Can't I even speak? And he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go up and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go and fight this Philistine. Uh, You're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a man. (laughs) I wish I could read. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. 
this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Let's pause there. A couple of things to notice about David as he's going to go and fight the Philistine. First of all, he's rejected by his brothers. His brothers, he comes to see, that's why he's there to check on his brothers, and his brothers don't want anything to do with him. Why are you here? Just come for a nose. He just come to watch the action. And God's anointed king steps into the situation. The saviour is here. And his brothers miss it. They miss it. They don't want anything to do. They angrily send him away. Then secondly, David finds himself before the authorities. He finds himself before Saul, the king, or at least the one who's wearing a crown on his head. And that's an important difference. And although Saul finds him somewhat fascinating... Ultimately, now we've got to be careful here because we've read this story before. We know how this ends. But if you're reading this for the first time, what David is doing here, he's been sent out to die. He's been sent out to die. He is approaching an experienced fighter who is armed to the teeth, a giant of a man with, with massive weaponry. He's been sent out to meet him with a shepherd's sling and five stones. He's been sent out in front of all the people to die. But we know it doesn't work out like that. So again, we're we're, we're understanding more about who Jesus is. Jesus, God's anointed rescuer, sent by his father to, to, to save. But as he comes to earth, he's rejected by his brothers. He's rejected by his people. They turn him in. And he, he finds himself before the authorities. And he, too, is sent out in front of the people to die. Although what he's doing is he's actually going out to save them. Let's finish. Verse 41. This is the action part. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, 
and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone stank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine. With a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. I I love this. (laughs) One of the hardest things to do in church is to teach Sunday school. Because this is often something we think, well, we'll teach the children about David and Goliath. It's, (laughs) It's big stuff. But I love this. Here, here it is. David single-handedly saves his people. Not one other person in the Israelite army raises a finger to achieve this victory. One man saves the people. One anointed man. The, the anointed king, the chosen ruler, sent by his father to find out what's going on and to save the people. Now, the the soldiers actually will move into the victory. If we were to carry on reading, they move forward and and enjoy the victory, but they don't earn it. It is earned for them. It is given to them as, uh, as David goes out. And just so it is with the Lord Jesus. As he was sent out to die, he single handedly saves his people. He achieves what no one else can do. He takes the punishment of sin upon himself. He is crucified. And he is raised to life again on the third day. He saves the people. He is the saviour. It's all about him. He is the king. He is the hero. He does what none of us could do by ourselves. He takes an army of pretenders. And he gives them victory. He takes an army of pretenders, fake, and he moves them into the reality of victory. And that is what Jesus does for us. He died on that cross for us to move a a people who pretend into the reality of victory over sin, into reconnection with the living God. As we close, let me read just a couple of verses from the end of the chapter. Verse 55, as Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I I don't know. The king said, find out whose son that young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. It's a lovely detail. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. And David said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. You know, as people watched on and and saw what David was doing, they were saying, who's his father? And as the Lord Jesus was, was living on this earth, and as he died that death, as he rose again, what he was doing was he was showing us the father. He was showing us what God is like. 
He is the exact representation of his being, it says in Philippians, uh, in uh, Hebrews. He, this is the image. He is the image of the invisible God, Paul says in Col- Colossians. If we look at Jesus, we find out who God is. And as people looked at David, they said, who is his father? And as we look at Jesus, we find out what the father is like. So what does all this mean for us today? Well, we, we, we no doubt have some Goliaths in our lives, some big, scary problems, ugly problems that are just too big for us. And while there is, there is there's obviously uh, value in being brave and courageous and strong, actually there's some good news that, that says, actually, you don't, it's not going to be about you, it's going to be about Jesus. The only one who can defeat sin, shame, guilt, is Jesus. You can't, but he can and he has. We have a rescuer who's been sent to save us. And that's why the message of Jesus is good news. Good news isn't telling somebody who's lost, try harder, be better, good luck. Good news to someone who's lost is, there is a way. Good news to someone who can't fight is, you don't have to. Because there's a rescuer who has done it for you. And his name is Jesus. I'm going to pray. The band will come up and uh, and we'll sing a song um, to us. And we can join in if we, if we want to, of course. And then Christy will, will help us as we lead into communion to close our time together. Let's, let's pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you that uh, we haven't been left on on this earth uh, alone, but that you have come as our ultimate rescuer. Father, we see very clearly in our lives the effects of sin. We We know of the guilt. We know of the shame. We know of the fear. We know of the confusion. We know of the disconnection. Father, thank you that you didn't leave us in that state, but that you have sent the Lord Jesus to live that life, to die that death, and to be raised again, triumphing where we could never triumph, victorious where we were never victorious, that we might enjoy all that that victory has. We thank you in Jesus' name.